Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to The Business Alchemist, where we believe in serving with spirit. I have a crackle of holy fire here with us today. She is a voice for revolutionary entrepreneurship and faith, something I strongly believe in. Victoria Washington is here today. She's a wealth activator, marketing wizard, creative director, and she really is helping women in this financial revolution. She is the founder of House of Wealth, a global community that has rapidly become the go-to space for entrepreneurs to develop their wealth identity and create a sustainable relationship with money to build a financial masterpiece through their business mission. Something I strongly believe in here on The Business Alchemist. I am so excited for you guys to have a chance to hear Victoria today. She's so in tune with spirit. You can hear as she speaks her authenticity, her genuine soul, her heart through her work. And I'm happy to have her here today. Thank you, Victoria, again for being here. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm excited. I have, I consider you a soul sister. You're very aligned with me spiritually. You are the founder of the House of We, a wealth activator, which I'm super excited to dive into today. Victoria Washington, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I can't wait to see what comes through. I'd love to hear your story of how you had your awakening. We all have that moment where the veil starts to come off. What was that moment or period of time in your life for you? I feel like I've had a couple, right? We have these <laughs> we have these cycles. I'm like, okay, which one do we talk about? Because there's so many different levels to awakening and layers and points of intimacy. But my first understanding of an awakening happened in my mid-20s, I think similarly to a lot of people. And at the time I'd been living a really numb life. Like I wasn't taking care of myself. I was not, I wasn't living for really anything specifically. I didn't have a, a connecting point or a grounding force. And I was just graduating college, moved to Chicago, was going through multiple different corporate jobs, just trying to find where I could afford to live in this city. And my focus was certainly not awakening in any capacity. It was how do I pay these bills? And I'm just graduating college and living in this new city with a with my boyfriend at the time. And I was a little bit lost, like every early 20-year-old really asking myself the bigger questions of why am I here? What am I doing? And what do I really want? And yoga was a saving grace for me at that point in my life. In college, I actually got certified to teach yoga and I did it as a side gig. And at the time, it was just a physical activity that I was able to make some cash and meet new people and practice using my voice. But it really turned into this gateway of spirituality, understanding my body, understanding what was emotionally happening within my body, understanding what my thoughts meant, what they didn't mean. And what went from just being a side yoga job turned into my greatest passion. And I actually left corporate America to teach yoga full time, ended up managing studios in Chicago for a couple of years. And in that, I really went all in on my spiritual journey and who I was, my connection to my soul and my voice and the gifts that are within me. So it was a big turning point. There's a lot there. So let's say there's someone listening now, and maybe they're at that point at the lowest, and they're asking themselves questions. What were some of the questions you were asking yourselves to really start understanding yourself better? And, and 
what were some of the answers coming through? And the reason I asked that is because sometimes we don't know the difference between intuition and logic. So what right. are some of the best questions to ask yourself? Let's start there. Well, first, I want to say for anybody listening that feels like they're at a low point, let's say because there's a lot going on in your life or you're feeling mentally at war with something or your spirit just feels really tired. Looking back, if I'm being 100% honest, I was actually at my highest point. That was actually the height, the peak of being able to connect with God and connect with your spirit is when you are in your weakness, is when you are so submissive and so willing to be held by something and seeking something that is bigger and more meaningful. Whereas now it's such a new normal, but I look back and I miss those days where I remember first coming into contact with God a few years later and having my first encounter. It was the best week of my life. It's like falling in love for the first time and you can't ever get that richness back. So looking back, you know, 10 years ago, that was my highest point. That was when I was most open and most willing to be accessed by my spirit and by God and by the vision that was really meant to be casted through me. So if you are looking at your weakness as something that's holding you back right now, I invite you to completely flip that because God knows how to use your weakness for the, essentially the war you're going to go to for your art and for your voice and for the life that you really want to live. And there's a righteousness that gets dissolved in those moments that really allows us to have a deeper experience spiritually. And the questions I would start to ask myself is number one, where's my willingness? Because our willingness is going to soften the willpower that we've been programmed to believe is going to get us through everything. And it's actually going to allow us to surrender more deeply into the vision that is really here for us and and there for our lives. And in our willingness, we can start to merge with God and merge with God's voice and merge with God's gifts for us. So I remember asking myself at that time, and if I could go back, I would do it even more. It's like, how willing am I to step into this? I don't need to make any moves yet, but where's my willingness? And it will reveal to you where you're holding on to what you know in an effort to keep things comfortable unconsciously. So that's number one. And then number two is, and this is a little bit more confronting, where am I more committed to being confused than clear? And that's confronting because we will often pretend not to know our power, our gifts, our vision, our the answers that are already in the room with us because clarity breeds action and change. And for most people, their body is interpreting change as death, as loss, as grief. And when we avoid those three major experiences, we can't ever experience rebirth. We can't experience revitalization. So I didn't ask myself this 10 years ago, but if I could, I'd sit myself down and say, where are you more committed to being confused right now and pretending not to know? And how is that potentially serving the small part of you that wants to stay in this box and in this comfort zone? And if you were to commit to clarity, what would that move you into? Because at the end of the day, change and fear just means there's something worth being courageous for. There's something in the room with you right now that's worth being courageous for. And when you really connect with that, you shift your commitment and your commitment takes you in a completely different direction. So those are the first two, just to really see where you're at and take yourself into a deeper state of accountability. Mm, That's powerful. You know, 
you just said something and, and it stuck with me that in order for us to change, we have to confront that. But a lot of people, because of programming, society, friends, family, we have a programming. You know, we have a programming and we get comfortable where we are, who we think we are, who we think we are. And in order for us to change something, the action has to change. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So that's definitely super, super scary for a lot of people. But I always say that when you take little steps every day, it's the little steps, right? Because people think that their life's going to change overnight or in a week. And it's kind of like a yo-yo diet, but spiritually they, they run into it big and then they fall back or they relapse into whatever behavior they were. So what are some of the maybe tinier steps or things you did daily to change your action? Did you start praying more, meditating more? Like what were some of the actions after the questions came? What were the actions you were taking to change over time? Well, after I had my quote unquote spiritual awakening, that was really the beginning of so many other awakenings. And when you start to see and feel what your potential tastes like, you can't go back. Like there's, there's going to come a point where you cannot unsee whatever God has shown you. And that is the scariest moment because you know, in that moment, you cannot go back. So I encourage everyone to seek that moment because it takes care of all the rest of the all this like analyzing gets taken care of because you can't unsee it. You have no other choice but to move forward. And then actually the next step for me was how do I integrate this into my friendships, my relationships? Because when we change deep down and something down on the inside of us shifts, it not only affects us, but it affects everybody else that was benefiting from your smallness. Everyone else that was benefiting from your lack of boundaries, anyone else who was benefiting from your lack of awareness is now also going to be impacted. So I had a really interesting few years where, and everyone goes through this. I'm just going to call myself forward, like the spiritual high horse where you found this connection and you've got your crystals and you're seeing things clearly now and you are asking bigger questions and it can actually isolate us a lot of the time. I felt very isolated during during that time and I didn't know how to integrate it into my friendships. So if I could go back, a question and a step that I would take is, okay, this is all happening inside of me and how can I not project this onto anyone else and really be in my own experience of this and not expect anyone else to need to match that right now? Because that's what we do. We'll we'll have this moment of awakening and then we want everyone around us to catch up and it just doesn't work that way. And part of part of our journey is being humble enough to know that God will also often position us in groups, in families, in lineages where we are the torchbearer of a bigger vision. And it's okay that they don't match it right away, but where can you lead and guide with compassion and really learn where your righteousness is potentially stopping you from taking responsibility for your life in a bigger way? So that would be the next step is actually looking at your environment, the people that you're with, and just taking a beat and noticing, okay, what's changing in me and how can I integrate this into my life so that this spiritual awakening doesn't isolate me but it actually integrates me into more intimacy with my people. That's so powerful because that's the thing. When we go through that, 
then kind of the ego messes with you a little. Like we're so righteous. We know everything. You're not on our level, right? And yes. that could isolate you because all of a sudden you become a know-it-all. And I was so guilty of that during one of my awakenings, especially the, the first few. I was like, does yeah. do they not get it? Do, do they not get it? But yeah. I, I love that so much, being humble enough to understand. And that's the I think that's the beauty of it, understanding that you're on a journey but so is everyone else around you. Like it's not, it's not like they're not on your boat. They're on their own, you know? So that was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Um, to anyone listening, I ask this question a lot because we're programmed logically. We critic, we've been programmed to also critical think since school and all that. So everything for us is logic, logic. What's intuition? How, what, how do we know it's not our own desires, our own, delusions how do we know that's intuition or god's vision that's a good question i know it through feeling and there's a a sensation that comes over me so if anyone is starting to understand the language and the sacred technology as my friend hella would say of your intuition it's really taking the time to listen our listening informs our leadership And the ones who are listening first and then leading are operating from intuition. And the ones who are just jumping ahead and leading are operating off of thought and the feeling that is present in that moment. But our feelings actually aren't always accurate. So we have to understand the map of the body and how our, how those feelings are turning into sensations. So that's why I love somatic work. That's why I do so much embodiment because our bodies speak far more than our voices and our bodies speak far more than even our thoughts. Our body, as I say, in the house of we body leads and the mind follows. And if you want to go even deeper, God leads the body follows and the mind catches up. So that's the the way that I've always lived my, I won't say always, but in the most recent years have lived my life since I've come into contact with this deeper understanding of my body and now anytime I desire something, I really see desire as an encounter with God's vision for you. And if your desire encapsulates other people, then it's on point that your opulence and your desires create a pathway for others. And you know that it's you and your mind when your desire is all about you. So it's breaking that wall down of I get everything that I need and desire when I am in overflow and in service and in gratitude of this life. And I'm actually not worried about finding the right thing. I'm trusting that there's an assignment that God has placed on my heart to fulfill. And to fulfill something is to move into it by all means necessary. It's not to find or chase or seek or try to get. It's listening closely enough to the language of the heart saying yes being willing and then asking god don't move the mountain there's going to be plenty of mountains move me and then you become the vision you become the how and the making you become this torchbearer that's actually lighting the way and creating a pathway of least resistance for other people and that has created such a deeper state of peace within me when it comes to my listening, what I'm saying yes to, what I'm saying no to. I don't really pay attention to like what's logic versus intuition because we also have to remember that logic is a higher faculty. It's part of intuition. It's 
I, do, I don't really look at them as that separate anymore. And that also has helped me not feel so separate. Like there's not this bad version of me over here. And then this good version of me over here. It's like, I'm an intu- I'm designed as an intuit. I'm, I'm of the creator. And the more that I recognize that as part of my identity, just the whole way that you live your life is through that lens. And when you walk outside, you don't just see a tree, you see God and you listen and you go slower so that God can speed up and you, your whole tempo of life takes on a different form. I love that so much, you know, it's, and that's why they always say like, go to nature to connect, right? Go to nature, be still. We're in a very fast paced society now. And I always say it's even in the small moments, you know, let's say you're sitting on the couch and that higher consciousness is like, drink more water. That's that's Mm -hmm. all I'm asking you to do in this moment. Just have a glass of water. You seem a little, your body, your avatar, your character, your vehicle is thirsty. And some Mm -hmm. people don't even listen to that. And I always say, well, then how can you get the greater, bigger instructions if, you know, if, if if we can't hear the drink your water, maybe eat cleaner, you know, take care of your temple. Um, but I want to go back to, you know, the somatic work that you do, because to some people listening, maybe they're not familiar with breath work and, you know, all this stuff. So how would you explain that to someone? Like, how do you explain somatic work to someone listening who's like, what does that mean? We all have a body. And like you said, our body is the vehicle. I look at the body as the the temple that holds so many different sensations, so many different memories, so many different experiences. So while the mind has moved on to something else, because the mind's primary function is to look ahead to conquest and deliver different signals based on our comfort levels and safety. So the mind is always going to be looking out in the future. The body lives in the past and the present. And our body is actually the record keeper of all lifetimes and all experiences and memories that we've ever had. So for me, I've used movement as a way to anchor and ground my life. But it wasn't until I was starting to revolutionize my relationship with money that I realized how much of a role the body does play when it comes to the different behaviors and actions and thoughts that we think. When I was just starting my business, it was 2017. I had no idea what I was getting into in the realm of entrepreneurship, having a relationship with money, being more intimate with clients and money and business and all the things that come with it. I ended up filing bankruptcy at the end of 2018. And it was this rock bottom moment with scarcity. At the time, money mindset was starting to become really popular. And there was a lot of courses and things out that were centered around the law of attraction and bringing more money into form through these mantras and affirmations and all these things. So I'm trying all these things and they're working, but they feel like little temporary highs that never turn into valleys. And I got so frustrated one day that I actually slammed my laptop shut. And I was like, I'm done saying I'm a money magnet. Like I just need to rip this quote unquote scarcity. I didn't even know what that was at the time, but that was the term that kept being used. This scarcity, this lack, like you have shame. We have to be mindful of how the self-development industry will tell us what we have, like be discerning. And in the in that moment, I was just fed up with hearing the same old, same old, same old, same old. And I got up and I started to actually do exactly what my body was asking me to do. It's like, just rip it off. So I'm moving and I'm moving and I'm moving and I'm moving. And it just turns into this shake. And then it turns into a roar. And 
as I'm moving, I'm seeing things behind my eyes. And I start to see my grandmother's hands. I start to see this dirt and this soil. I start to feel these sensations. And then I just dropped to my knees and I wept. And I felt for the first time that this isn't in my head. It's in my body. That's where this memory is of scarcity. It's not even a necessarily a real thing in this present moment. I'm sitting in a house. I just rented at this point a house from a girl. I was renting a room in a house from a girlfriend. I was in this moment of like, I have everything I need. Why do I feel this? And it was in my body. That gave way to all the things that I teach today, wealth embodiment flow, the house of wealth embodiment. There's so much in there around our body's intelligence actually walks us into our financial intelligence. I don't know one woman specifically that feels fully embodied in their financial intelligence who is not also embodied in their beingness and the the wealth identity, their God-given wealth identity. So that was a big turning point for me where I had to understand that our blood has recorded, there's actually something called blood telepathy. Our blood records things and there are pieces of our DNA that have money stories housed in them. And many of us who are trying to get rid of scarcity are going at it completely wrong. And if you took the opposite approach, you would start to see that scarcity was it's part of the design of wealth. You were chosen to transcend it. And bankruptcy went from this thing I was so shameful for to the ultimate correction from God. And it was this this innate setup for this financial revolution that I'm in today. And now I live my life by that mantra, body leads and the mind follows. If I can change my body that automatically changes my thoughts, that changes my behaviors, it changes my life. But it all starts with this temple of intelligence that we live in and understanding the sensations and the memories that are currently dictating how we're seeing the world, how we're seeing certain objects, how we're seeing certain people. Mm. That is so interesting because everything's a frequency, right? And especially you know, things get transferred from mother womb, you know, her, her womb, you know, when you're in your mother's belly, what's her frequency? What was her mother's, you know, what were their story? What, 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 what was happening in their energy field? Right. So it's super interesting. And when people really start to even have the awareness for it, that can feel scary, you know, to think that deeply. So a lot of people just avoid thinking that deeply. And I love that you said, you know, you were moving your body how your body wanted to move because, you know, I'll share and, and I, I share this sometimes and I haven't really shared it on my podcast on other people's that when I was after I had my son, I went through a weight loss journey and I was stuck and I was mm-hmm. stuck because of the frequency I was carrying. And when I released certain trauma or certain thoughts in my mind, the weight just like melted So Mm -hmm. that also, you know, weight carries a frequency also. So I love that you said that. So what are some things, maybe someone listening right now that they just heard what you said, like, that sounds great. How do I know what my body wants to do? You know, like, what's the first step someone could do? Like, maybe they're going to put down this podcast, they're done. They're like, okay, body, (laughs) where am I going? What, what's it feel like again? Like, how do they know it's, it's that inner voice? 
Well, first and foremost, before you go anywhere, you have to fall in love with the mystery because a lot of this is going to be connected to the mystery. And if you have to understand everything before you can enjoy it, you're going to stay exactly where you're at. And God actually taught and said that it's we're not designed to seek our own understanding. We're actually designed to enjoy God's understanding of the bigger plan. And that was a big turning point for me where I was actually living my life through this hypervigilant lens of I will not be able to experience or enjoy anything until I fully understand it. So anybody listening, just take a deep breath right now. And then as you fully exhale, exhale out that hypervigilant potential need to understand anything I'm saying and see if you can just feel it. Just right now, even practice not interpreting my words as information, but seeing where your body's already doing the most intelligent job, which is converting my words into a feeling. And then can you pause and slow down and just name and start to acknowledge that feeling? So just nod your head. Yes, I feel that. I feel the sensation of expansion or potentially this conversation is triggering me a little bit and I'm feeling a little bit contracted all of a sudden in my heart. Without making that right or wrong, just simply place your hand on that part of your body and acknowledge it. I hear you. I see you. I don't need to understand you to actually process and experience you. And I actually don't even need to know why. I just get to believe. So our body and God benefits from our belief. And how often do we need to understand something again before we can even believe it? How many people have been in situations where your body experienced something, you could not explain it, and nobody believed you? So the first step is you believe you. Body, I don't need to know anything else. You feel a sensation of contraction, I believe you. And then the body can start to speak and create enough safety to actually show you and reveal to you what that sensation is doing in your body, what that sensation is bringing to life, we'll start to get either visions, we might start to see memories, we might get a name. That's where the higher faculties come into play. So the first step is just practicing feeling. If you can feel it all, I promise you, you can have it all. Because the person who can only have it when they're feeling good is the person who's always empty. The person who can have it, no matter whatever they're feeling, is the person who's living in overflow. So the first step is feeling. Not taking your feelings as necessarily the end-all conclusion, but noticing what those feelings are communicating to you in the larger scheme of life and the stories that you're living in. And then I would take the quiz on the house of we.com. <laughs> Go take the quiz. <laughs> she looks like... Go take the quiz. Which will because, be in the show notes, which will be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. And the reason why I say take this quiz, it's free. It takes five minutes. It's going to give you language. It's going to start to give you more language around what I'm referring to, around your identity, around your body, around your relationship with money. The reason why we use money as the gateway is because money is the sensation of providership. And at the end of the day, what everyone is worried about, we can trace it back down to two things. It's being left behind or someone finding out that they're not actually lovable. That's what everybody's worried about. I'm not lovable and I'm potentially going to be left behind. 
And providership is directly linked to that, which is why your relationship with money, once you untangle it, will actually free up so much of your mental space, so much of your body and so much of your life. So even if you're like, I don't need to work on my relationship with money, that feels like a distraction, blah, blah, blah. Don't go into it as I'm going to take this quiz so I can figure out how to make more money. Go into it as potentially my spiritual relationship with money is mirroring to me where I'm not resistant to cash. I'm resistant to responsibility. I'm potentially resistant to providership. I'm potentially resistant to my belonging. And in that, you're going to go on this whole journey and it's going to blow your mind. And I'm so excited for you. I love that. Let's talk about the mystery because I feel like the mystery and the money and the surrender, it all goes hand in hand with attracting versus chasing. So Mm -hmm. a little backstory about me, you know, I was a single mom six years ago. And of course the hustle mentality was at the forefront of my mind, hustle, hustle, hustle. And I was exhausted. And I remember I I share this story and I'll share it with you briefly. I was down to my last $2,000. And I remember I gave it to the landlord and I had two options. I always say we have two eyes because we have two options, negative, positive, which way are we looking? Right. And I was like, I can either go home and feel nauseous and throw up and worry and stress and be in that frequency, or I'm just going to go on a joyride and, and, and tag universe, God source, you're it. Like, you're going to help me figure this out. And I did. I went on a joyride within 48 hours, money manifested. It did. You know, now this is what I want to talk to you about because this is something mm-hmm. you posted in manifestation. Action is required. So let's talk about the dance, the dance between action, mystery, and surrender. How does that look to you? <laughs> oh, where do I want to go? There's so many different directions. I don't actually teach a lot of manifestation because I don't believe that there's like a right or a wrong way to manifest. I truly have found and believe that you are either ready, your character is developed enough, or it's not. And manifesting cash once is an amazing point of evidence of your potential, of your magic, of your exuberance, your tenacity, your belief, your faith, but sustaining a long-term relationship with money and knowing how to house a wealth identity is an entirely different journey from my experience. So I think that a lot of people are basing their attraction based off of these really short moments. And I've actually found that my clients, myself, my communities have been so much more liberated, letting go of needing to attract for a second And just really stepping into the prayer of God, develop my identity such that I'm able and willing and ready and prepared to hold more impact or hold larger wealth or hold a bigger business model. And in that, we submit to the mystery of how that's going to come to be because we're not always going to see the peak before the climb. And we start to take the ride, not through the lens of, I need to adjust that and fix that to become more attractive, but I'm already chosen for greatness. I'm, I don't need to chase, attract, or do anything when I remember that I'm chosen. There's no question of, am I enough? There's no question of, am I worthy when I remember that I am of worth? I am connected in a daughter of the most high. How could I ever... What's more attractive than that? So we eliminate all this back and forth needing to get in and out of some receiving mode. And we just submit to the journey of development, develop my character, 
develop my identity, develop my vision, my sight, my fortitude, my ability to turn adversity into abundance. Because oftentimes what I've found is that God is not always going to show you a blessing through abundance. Most of the time, God's going to show you that you are the blessing through adversity. And that's part of your magic is in one minute, you can transmute a moment that is painful or not favorable, and you can transmute it into a completely different vision. So that's the approach that I take. And that involves mystery and involves surrender and involves submission. It involves being willing to listen before you lead and slowing down enough to understand that you are becoming the how in the making. And it simplifies things so much. I think that, not that this is what you're doing at all, but I think that the world of manifestation has overcomplicated everything. (laughs) And when we come back into covenant and connection with the simple truth that we are of the creator, a lot of what people are trying to master and become attuned to is simplified greatly. Because they already are and they already have. Yeah. That's the abundance. You know, one secret, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but there was a time where I didn't even look at my bank account because I was operating on universal bank account. I was like, that's not mine. (laughs) I was like, that is not mine. (laughs) And because I already had in those lower moments of my life, I already had and wanted to become the version of me that didn't have to worry about that number. And again, I think everything's a programming. So to anyone listening, you know, that's just my opinion, even the bank account, don't let it define you, you know, you already have you are, you know, the child of the most high, as you said, so you already chosen. And I do feel like many of us are here to unlearn all the human things we've been taught. And we're here to remind others, you know, that we did come to make this this earth, you know, a new earth. You know, Aubrey mm-hmm. Marcus posted this video. I think I watch it like once a month where, you know, we all sat by a shaman and we're like, do we really got to go to this place called Earth? You know, and it's like, yes, you guys are chosen because, you know, everything that's happening now in the world is you could see the dark energy. And mm-hmm. I try me personally, I try not to give it too much energy because it's feeding it. I try to stay love and light and try to remind people of exactly what you said. We are here. These are our avatars. We're here to remind each other to bring the frequency up in the world for the new earth, for those pure souls to come through because Mm -hmm. they can't come through if this is the war they're going to be fighting. There's going to be more spiritual warriors coming down. So I love everything you're saying because you're saying it on such a bird's eye view. Don't just manifest that instant gratification, you know, focus on the impact Like what in your heart, in your soul is the impact you're trying to make to awaken the others or to help the others or guide the others. So I really, really love that. What would you say, you know, right now in this moment is something that you're most excited about, you know, maybe seeing in the world or as you're helping all these people, what's something that super excites your spirit? I'm just excited to break generational curses, step into richness and support people and prospering through their relationship with God, through their relationship with money, through their businesses. I look at money and business as a ministry. It is the, I don't know when we separated money and business and God. I don't know when those two became so different because when you really step out on faith and believe bigger, 
you'll see God's hand is all over it. So it's just been so beautiful to see my community step back into a deeper, more simple faith, a more grounded approach to their businesses, to their money, to their wealth. I'm excited by all of the women who are stepping into their voices, utilizing their voices, becoming vehicles for change in future generations. And that's what excites me is seeing the the bedrock that we're really creating for the next generation and the the hope that we're building for the next generation. So that's lighting my heart on fire right now. I love that. Is there one story without saying names, but is there one story or maybe two that stick out in your mind of a transformation that really like wowed you or felt like a miracle to you? Oh, man. There was one moment in the house of we when we were doing a celebration call and there was a first generation. I've told the story on a couple of podcasts before. There was a first generation Filipino woman on the call and she was saying she was celebrating this milestone in her portfolio. It just crossed a million dollars and she hadn't turned her video on. And I was like, hang on a second. You can't just pop that in the chat and exactly not to turn your video on. She turns her video on and I could just tell she was celebrating, but she wasn't experiencing celebration. And I asked her, you know, what's coming up for you right now? Because I always tell people, if you really want to work on your money stuff, make a ton of money. If you really are serious about it, if you're serious about developing yourself, about being of impact, of benefit to society, of coming up with new solutions and things like that, make a lot of money because that's when you're really going to get to see all the ways in which your wealth identity gets to be strengthened. And she was expressing this fear of her family finding out because with women of color, what I found is that we want to be rich, but if we become rich, then we're scared that people are going to look at us as the oppressor because most people have that connection. So she was so proud of this milestone but also didn't want anybody to project onto her. She was terrified of her family finding out the number and potentially treating her different or thinking of her different. And I just remember sitting there and saying to her, they may never know the number, but they're going to know a mother who's present. Mm -hmm. And that's you changing the face of wealth. This isn't just about the million dollars. It's about the options you've just created. It's about the discipline that you put in as a woman of color to figure out how to build a million dollar portfolio. And we just had this moment of tears of her really breaking through and feeling that because how often, especially as women, do we hit the milestone and we just, it doesn't ever hit our heart. We don't let it because we're afraid of it being taken away or afraid of being judged. And just to see her quickly move out of that and into the state of, wow, I really did this. And here's where I get to go next. It was a powerful moment. I have moments like that almost every day in House of We. That community just blows me away, the work that we're doing, just how deep it touches each lineage. It doesn't just stop with them. It goes all the way down to their bloodline. And there's multiple times a week where I'm just like, thank you, God. I I don't know how this is happening, but it is absolutely miraculous and a testament to you. That's that's powerful because it is true. We play small. We get nervous that someone's going to judge us, criticize us, name call us. You know, a lot of times successful women, we get bullied by some of the people that we thought were close to us, you know, and that's because they're dealing with their own personal stuff. So I always, you know, I taught my son this. I have, he's going to be eight this Thursday and 
<laughs> and when people are mean, I always say anyone that bullies you or is, you know, mean spirited, I said, that's, that's inside them. I said, you can't take it personal, you know, and the same thing to anyone listening, you know, when you're on your journey, do the best you can accept and celebrate yourself for all you've been through, all you've learned, processed, overcame. And if someone doesn't understand, guess what? Their journey maybe didn't begin yet. And that's okay too, you know? And and one thing I will say, because you said this earlier, is if the lights went off in the world and some of us just lit up, we would be the ones showing people the light exists. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we all have to remember if someone's mean or maybe on a lower frequency, show them the way. Yeah. Show them the way. And you know, over time, maybe they'll be like, okay, why is this person always so nice and so humble and so grounded? And look how much is happening because you can do it with love and at a higher frequency. But yeah. my my final question, and I love asking everyone this, what would Victoria now? tell her younger self, knowing everything you know now. <laughs> She's like, where do I start? I tell her everything. I just got asked <laughs> on Q&A recently. Uh, younger Victoria was just so afraid of letting go of control, of fully being seen, fully being heard, being known. and. I would tell her that you are in for the wildest ride of your life, that you are so deeply loved, like that you'll, there's going to come a point in your life where you won't even be able to comprehend it and don't try, just keep receiving. And I would tell her that being single and sober will be one of the happiest chapters of your life. Cause at one point, those two things were my biggest fears and to be living in that era now in the happiest state that I am that was a, this where I am right now is a dream that a version of me never dreamed I would dream. And so I would just whisper in her ear and say, that thing that you're afraid to let go of is actually going to lead you to your just most ecstatic era of your life. That's powerful. That's powerful. Victoria, where can everyone find you on social media? For all things wealth, wealth identity at the House of We, there's a ton of amazing content, the quiz, all the things. And then my personal brand is at I am Victoria Washington on Instagram. And guys, that's going to be in the show notes. Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the Business Alchemist. Thank you.